um, pot where we were brought while we're broadcasting online. Um, and we're in 2 Timothy. We're about to wrap the book up. And this is the last chapter of 2 Timothy. As you know, Paul wrote the book of 2 Timothy to Timothy, who was his son in the faith. And he wrote this to encourage him and to build him up and to encourage him to keep on going. Now, as we come to chapter 4, this is really kind of a it's a very moving chapter. I, I mentioned this back when we were doing the book of Acts as we came to the end. I mentioned Paul's farewell. And that's what this is going to be. And we're, So we're going to look at it in two parts. Hopefully, Lord willing, we're going to see this in two parts. Let me. We're just going to look at verse 1 through 5 of 2 Timothy chapter 4. Chapter um, 2 Timothy 4, chapter 1 through 5. And Paul writes this to Timothy as he gets ready to close his second and final letter. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearance of, and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready. Be instant. In season. Out of season. Convince. Reprove. Rebuke. rebuke exhort. With all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn away their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Be watchful in all these things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. I, I heard a podcast this week on finales. You know, like television finales when they wrap up. And and and, um, and and they always try, if you know the finale's coming, you want to make it especially important. Um, a few of those stick out of my mind. We, I remember MASH, the finale of MASH as the war was over and they flew away and just said goodbye. And I remember the finale of a of a, um, a hospital show we used to watch called St. Elsewhere. At the end of it all, um, the whole show had been the main doctor's um, autistic son. It was all his dream. So finales, if you do them, they kind of wrap things up. Uh, as Americans, we would have we would have read about and and learned a bit about George Washington's farewell address. So farewell addresses are always important. Jesus, the last thing Jesus told before he said he left was to go into world and all to all the world and preach the gospel. And Paul is coming to his finale here. He's coming down to the last last thing he's going to write out of all the books he's written this is the last that he writes chronologically so this week and next we're going to uh, to study paul's finale paul's farewell address to see what he has to say to timothy and the truth is he says these things to us as well we know that because earlier in check earlier in 2 timothy paul told timothy to take the things that he's learned apply them to himself teach them to others that they may teach others to follow. And that progression has gone on now for um, nearly 2,000 years and we're the recipients of that same progression. I look back to my pastor, um, Greg McLaughlin, who was my pastor for a good part of my part, good part of our Christian life. Most of our married lives, uh, Pastor McLaughlin was my pastor. And I look back to him as one of my mentors. And he looks back to Dr. Winnegar as his mentor. And I'm sure Dr. Winnegar could go back and back and back. So we have that line going on forever. So what Paul writes to Timothy, even though it was written to Timothy as a young pastor, are things that we need to know. So the first thing he does in verse 1, he gives a charge. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and in his kingdom. This is a... A charge is more than a command. 
It's a command that involves a challenge. It's a charge that has emphasis. Um, a, a general will often charge his troops. Right before Agincourt, if you know much about Shakespeare and Henry V, right before Agincourt, um, the king gives his charge and he, he stirs them up. You might not know Henry V, but you might know Independence Day. Alright, you know the movie Independence Day? And the president gets up and he gives his charge. This is the day that we're going to save mankind. This is no longer going to be an American holiday. But it's going to be, this is our Independence Day. Alright, stirring and charging. And that's what Paul's doing to Timothy here. He's giving him this final charge. He says this to Timothy at the end. He says, I charge you. Before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This was, these were not necessarily Paul's words to Timothy. This was God's word given through Paul. And it's going to be passed on to us today. He says, he says, God is the judge of the living and the dead. Guys, justice is coming one day. The world needs to hear the message of Jesus Christ. And Paul lays that foundation here. What a perfect closing message for a day like ours. When it doesn't seem like anybody has any answers to any situation, does it? There, nobody has an answer. Nobody has an answer to the violence. Nobody has an answer to the disease. Nobody has an answer to the economy. Nobody has an answer. But we're going to find out here exactly what the answer is. I heard him, I, I, my Sunday mornings now, I listened to a John MacArthur, his last Sunday message on my walk this morning. And Dr. MacArthur was talking about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and how God is... God is going to bring justice one day. Those who don't know the Lord don't want to hear about this, but God is just and God is righteous and one day God is going to come and He is going to deal with sin and it's not going to be a pleasant experience to say the least. So when Paul writes these things to Timothy, he says, um, I charge you, uh, he, he mentions uh, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing. The judge is coming. And all these people around the world that we see on the television or we see on the internet, all the people out there who are doing what they're doing, one day they're going to be judged. We're all going to be judged one day. Those of us who are Christians are going to be judged based on the merit of what Jesus Christ has done for us. But God is going to bring His justice one day. And that's why Paul is saying, you got to keep, you, you got to do this. But he's going to tell, he's going to tell Timothy exactly what to do in just a second here. And then he's coming as king. And what a day that's going to be. When we don't have to worry about president and Tisha and, and prime ministers and, and, and all those officials. Because one day Jesus is going to be the king of the earth. And we're going to live under his perfect kingdom. So he says he's the judge of the living and the dead. Um, and he's also going to be the king. So what is this charge? What is the charge that he commands? Three words. Probably the three most important, important words of instruction that Paul gives to Timothy and that God gives us. Three little words. Preach the word. Preach the word of God. That's our charge. That's our command is to simply preach the Word of God. Now, we're going to follow up on that in just a second here. But the Word of God, I love the phrase. It's all that really matters. I grew up and um, I remember coming across this first several years ago. Uh, there were some places, some churches I was involved in when I first got saved who didn't just 
You didn't just go by God's word. You had to go by rules and instruction that some pastor made up. Things that didn't have any application in Scripture. And as the Lord began to direct my heart, and I, 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 I went along, you know, early on in those days, I would have preached some of those things. Um, but there, there were baseless laws and instructions that had no basis in Scripture. And, you, and then all of a sudden, this verse hit me one day, when God says, preach the Word. Preach God's Word. That's it. That's all that really matters. This goes back a little bit to the previous chapter. Chapter, um, or back in, um, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Uh, Paul is kind of referring back to that where he says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, um, for, uh, for reproof, for, um, yeah, for doctrine, for proof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly finished every good work. This is the answer. This is it. This is the, let me refer back at Psalm 19, if you would. Psalm 19, verse 7 through 11. Psalm 19, verse 7 to 11. I want you to hear the adjectives that David writes about the Word of God and why the Word of God is so important. The law of the Lord is, tell you what, I'm gonna, if you have it, if, if you don't mind, I want you, I want somebody or all of you, whoever wants to, to say the words. The law of the Lord is perfect. Yes. Good adjective. The testimony of the Lord is sure. I mean, it's definite. It makes wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are, they are right. Right and wrong, and they are right, and they rejoice the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightens the eyes. The fear of the Lord is Clean and endures forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Thank you, folks, for getting involved in that. See the adjectives for the Word of God? They're powerful adjectives. This is God's Word. This is our task. We are not going to fix this world. It's not going to happen. I can't solve pandemics. Can you? You can, can you come up with a human solution to fix the pandemic? Are we ever? Yes, laws need to be made. Decisions have to be made to protect the innocent. But are we ever going to fix the violence of this world? Are we ever? No. We might improve things a bit. This kind of stuff, this kind of violence has been going on for time immemorial. We just didn't have the internet. We can't fix, we can't go out and try to fix all the problems of the world. Yes, we stand for what's right. Yes, we condemn what's wrong. Yes, we stand with the innocent and we stand with the poor and we support them. But we're not going to fix it by us marching in the streets. We're not going to fix it by us posting on the internet. We're not going to fix it by sharing Facebook memes. That's not going to fix the situation. There's probably no less useful tool for fighting this, these things than a Facebook meme. Alright? When's the last time you read of somebody who read Facebook and said, Oh wow, that meme convinced me. You're right. Doesn't happen. Okay? And we do it. I mean, I enjoy Facebook, as all of you know. I like it, but we're not going to fix the world that way. I heard a word for this before, a couple of years ago, I heard a word for this kind of thing. Um, and they used the word Slacktivism. Can you imagine what slacktivism is? 
Slacktivism is, your activism, of course, is being involved. Slacktivism is being involved, but by doing nothing real. The answer is to preach the Word of God. Paul says to us, that's not just for preachers. That word means to proclaim the Word of God. All we can do that's going to have any kind of impact on this world is to proclaim God's Word to the people around us. Nothing else is going to do the job. Nothing. We can't preach our opinions. Well, we can, but that's not going to solve anything. Those of you who know me know that I have opinions on anything. You ask me about my top, about a topic, and I'm going to have an opinion. Even if I don't have a clue what I'm talking about, I'm going to have an opinion. And I don't mind telling people my opinions. But we can't preach our own opinions because no matter how smart we are, it's not God's Word. We can't preach politics. I was talking to somebody recently about politics. Somebody I was walking with somebody, um, oh, it was Esther and Diesel, and her husband as well. He's, he, he, he goes to bed frustrated about politics. And I said, I can understand that. I love politics. I love political intrigue. I love knowing what's going on. I like all of that stuff. And, and I actually heard a pastor friend in the States not too long ago stand up. I watched what I watched his message on, on, on Facebook. And all he did was talk about how rotten the governor of this state was for about 20 minutes. Now, what kind of impact do you think that had on the world? What kind of impact do you think that had for the gospel? None. We can't preach politics. We can't fix the social issues through preaching. Yeah, we can. There's one way to preach it. And that's, so, and that's by, well, I'll get there in a second. We can't preach social reform. There was a great movement, well, a big movement, a little over a hundred years ago, when people started preaching the social gospel. That Christian's job was not to preach the Word of God. The, the job of Christians was to go out and fix the world. We can't fix the world. It's broken. The world has been broken since Eve took the bite of that fruit and shared it with Adam. And it's been broken ever since. Cain tried to fix the world, didn't he? How did Cain try to fix the world for him? He killed his brother. Alright? All the way through time. We find out that men have tried to fix things their way. We can't... What we need to do, we need to preach the Word. Preach God's Word. This is where the answer is. If we're preaching God's Word faithfully, we preach the Word, and and people are drawn to Christ, their hearts are truly converted, their hearts are truly changed, that's when change takes place. There was a video popular a couple of years ago where, um, I don't remember the whole story, where somebody had had killed a brother or something, and the the guy had gotten saved, and he and he went up, and he wanted to. And he asked the judge if he could publicly forgive the woman for killing his brother. Powerful passage. He got saved. He was able to forgive her from his heart, and that changes everything. God's word is the answer. Jesus is the answer for the world today. This is the answer. You and I. Not everybody's going to stand here and preach in the pulpit. Not everybody is, and that's grand. Not everybody's going to stand and teach a Sunday school class. That's not going to happen for everybody. But everybody in this room, everybody watching this video, has the opportunity to proclaim God's Word in your life.
You have the power to do that. Doesn't mean you have to get up and, and do Greek studies. You know how you preach the Word? You tell people how you got saved. You tell people the difference that Jesus made in your life. You tell folks that God is love. Tell people that God is light and in Him is no darkness. Preach the Word. That's the command that Paul gives Timothy to leave. And he says, then he makes some application for it, he says. He says, be ready. Be ready in season. Be ready out of season. Always be ready to give an, to give an answer of the hope that is in you. Always be... Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot one thing here. Give me one second. Go back and get this. I was reading a book this morning um, by Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was a great 18th century American preacher. God used his preaching to bring about a great national revival in the late 1700s. Powerful preaching. And the Holy Spirit moved and used him in a powerful way. Here's what he says about the preaching of the Word of God. <clears throat> the book is called Religious, The Religious Affections. He says, And the, the impressing divine things on the hearts and affections of men is evidently one great and main end for which God has ordained that His Word delivered in the Holy Scriptures must be open, applied, and set home upon men in preaching. The Scriptures are meant to be opened up, they're meant to be applied to people's lives, and sent out to people through the preaching of God's Word. Later on he said, God hath appointed a particular and lively application of His Word to men in the preaching of it as a fit means to affect sinners with the importance of the things of religion and their own misery and the necessity of a remedy and the glory and sufficiency of remedy provided and to stir up the pure minds of the saints. God's Word is the only way that people are going to be convicted of their sin. But people aren't going to like that. And we're going to see what he says in the next in just a minute here. People aren't going to like that kind of preaching. Um, Jonathan Edwards preached a message in Connecticut. Newbury, Connecticut, he preached a message called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Now, I've read the message, and to be honest, I found it dry as dust. But the Holy Spirit used the preaching of God's Word to reach down. Thousands were saved that day. And, and they were people, they were, they talked about people holding on to their chairs for fear of being cast into hell because the Holy Spirit was working so powerfully. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Folks, sin is devastating. It's, it, it, it separates man from God. And the only way to, the only way to show that to people is not through standing and thundering and screaming in their face and making fun of them and calling them names, but show them the love of God and show them that God loves them where, God loves them right where they are. Paul writes, even when I was still a sinner, God loved me. And the thing that changes people's heart is God's word. That's what's alive. That's what's powerful. So he says, he said, be ready always. Always be ready. Um, why do we why do we be ready? Because the time is coming. Um, hold on, here. I've lost place. My calling. Bear with me, please. I've lost my place. Okay. Yeah. Always be ready. We, the point is here is that we need to, every place we go. Everybody we need, we need to be ready to give an answer of the hope that's in us. Why are you different? Why do you call yourself a Christian? 
How do you get through this struggle? And we need to be always ready to give a proper answer for that. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. It means we can't take a break and we need to be diligent all the time. Whether it's the right time or not. Whether I'm going to have a cup of tea to share the gospel with somebody. Or whether I'm sitting down going on a walk and talking about the Lord knows what. We need to be always ready to give an answer. We need diligence. We need to apply our hearts to diligence to preach the word. Because, we said earlier, a time is coming that we don't know about that Jesus is coming. He's coming back again. Um, In such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. Uh, Like to be the, with such the, such a time as we think not the Son of Man is going to come. We can't be prepared ourselves unless we're studying and preparing. Study to show yourself approved approved unto God. Um, I'm sorry, I've, I've really messed up my notes here. Give me one second to get my thoughts back together. All right, be ready. Be be ready in season, out of season. Um, always be prepared. And how do we stay prepared? We stay prepared as we study God's Word ourselves. We come to church. That's a brilliant thing to do. We hear God's preaching. We apply it. But we're not going to be ready unless we're studying God's Word ourselves every day. So how do we do this? How do we accomplish this task? Um, preach the Word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convict, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and patience. We do it by, we do it with patience at the end of the verse. Exhort with all long suffering and teaching. And how do, what do we do with all long suffering and teaching? What do we do? How do we be patient? Patience is tough. I am not the most patient person in the world. We got here this morning and everything wasn't exactly the way I wanted it to be. And if you'd been here earlier, you would have seen me. I was slowly but surely getting frustrated or frustrated or, um, the gate was locked. There's no Wi-Fi here. Um, we didn't have any way to prop the door open like we're supposed to. And my mind was just slowly seething. And I'm sure Mary, if anybody, could see that I was just about to lose the plot. <clears throat> I want things to be done. I want people to change. If I give somebody the gospel, I want them to get saved on the spot. I frustrate my poor wife. I frustrate her to death. She is the greatest victim of my impatience. If I mention that I'd like to do something or get something done, I want it done. And I'm not always very patient if she's not able to do it when I want her to. Now, after 40-some years, I think I've gotten better about it. But I'll, 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 I try to, I'll say something like a little bit later. Sweetheart, what do, you, what do you think about... I try to be nice, but she knows I want to get it done. But God says, no, we, we serve God. We preach the Word of God with patience. Um, he says convince. That means convict people of their sins. Rebuke. We could rebuke the world of sin. We do it in a loving uh, we do it in a loving way. Because how do we know we do it in a loving way? Because at the end of it says, convince people of their sin, rebuke them for their sin. Then he says, exhort them with all long suffering. Exhort is the Greek word parakleo. Parakleo means to, literally, to come alongside, to put your arm around them. We convince, we, 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 people are sinners. We can't deny that fact. People have to be confronted with their sin. But the word, come here, Hud. If you don't mind. Grandma Debbie can see. Here's what parakleo means literally in the Greek. It's okay. Alright? I really love you. And I care about you. I love you. And it's just a, it's like that. That's what parakleo means. Thank you. That's one of the names of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called 
a paraclete. One who comes alongside. And that needs to be our spirit to those around us. So why do we do this? Look at verses 3 and 4. Verses, I want you to, I want you to actually see verse 3 and 4. If you've not looked yet, I want, I want you to open your Bible on your phone. I want you to open your paper Bible. I want you to see these words because these words are powerful. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will um, turn away their ears away from the truth and be turned aside unto fables. The time will come. That Greek word means it's a definite thing that's going to happen. This is what's going to happen eventually. People are going to turn more and more away from, from the word of God. They're going to turn more and more away from sound doctrine. Mary and I were watching something last night and thinking about how much the world has grown to accept things that are sin. And and, and it's become accepted, totally accepted. Nobody seems to bother. It doesn't bother anybody. Um, Sinful relationships, sinful activities are all taking place and people think it's grand. All right? Because people have stopped wanting to hear sound doctrine. You want to test that? You want to find out if it's true or not? I believe that unborn children are alive. I believe unborn children need to be protected. I believe they're babies. But I'll tell you what, if I go out in public by myself to a pro-abortion rally and I carry a sign that say all life is precious... Um, how, how do you think I'm going to be received? Are they going to be tolerant of my view? Seriously? No! People don't want to hear the truth. So what... It says here that... I, I love this Greek phrase, even though we don't have a good English translation for it. It says they have itching ears. I looked everywhere, and you know how everybody describes having itching ears? Having itching ears. What does that mean? I read one guy who's one translation that said they like to have their ears tickled. And maybe that gives us a picture of what people do. People want to hear what they want to hear. And you find that division taking place in politics. People have decided what they want to believe. And they're only going to want to listen to those who are going to support their view. They don't want to read the other side. The same thing's true in life. People have decided that so much of sin is now acceptable. And it's no big deal. And they don't want to hear that sin is sin. It's a choice. It's a different way of life. It's this or it's that. Um, there, there, there are reasons that we can justify people burning down homes. There's reasons that we can justify killing other people. Um, I'll just be honest. People have... There are people think there are reasons why it's okay to kill a policeman just because he wears a blue, he or she wears a blue uniform. Because people don't want to hear the truth. Nobody wants to hear the truth. Nobody wants to hear what God expects out of them. So they have itching ears. They they hear what they want to hear. I can't tell you the number of times through the years that Mary and I have talked to people and we've given people counsel. And we've shown them God's Word. We've shown them God's Word from every light, from every angle, every verse, how it all fits together. And they don't want to hear it. So what do they do? 
They go to somebody else. If they don't get what they want to hear there, they go to somebody else. And they keep going around to pastors or to teachers or to Christians until they find somebody who is going to let them hear what they want to hear. Because people want to hear what they want to hear. It's hard to hear that you're a sinner. It's hard to hear that you deserve God's wrath. So people keep looking and looking and looking. Um, They only follow social media that suits them. Uh, And what does it say happens at the end of verse 4? The end of verse 4 says this, They will turn away their ears from the truth, and they'll be turned aside to fables. That Greek word for fables is muthos. It's It's the word we use for a myth. People would rather believe myths than the truth, because the truth is way too often uncomfortable. Now, what does that go back to say? Where, how did Paul start this? Preach the Word. Why do we preach the Word? Why is this different than any other book? Can one of you guys tell me why this is different than any, any other book? Anybody? One of you young guys? Why is it different, Hud? Because people wrote it. Well, because God told people to write it. Okay, because God told people to write it. Ben could tell me that. Because Ben would say, go read your Bible. <coughs> because the Bible, I remember, I'll never, that was one of the greatest little sermons I've ever heard. Go read your Bible. Because the Bible is important to read. Goodness, how perfect is that? But people don't want to hear the Word of God. But why is it powerful? Because God told men what to write. And because the Bible says the Word of God is alive. And powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God is unique because it's not just black ink on white paper. It's not just black words on your screen. It's alive. It's living. It has the power to change lives. It has the power to change people's minds. It has the power to reprove and to convict. It sounds unusual. When When I read Jonathan Edwards' message, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, it just sounded like a lot of theology. But do you know why thousands of people got saved that day? Do you know why? Because God's Word is alive. Because God's Holy Spirit worked through those words because they preached the Word of God. We never have to be afraid to preach the Word of God. I was watching a, a, a Francis Chan. It is Chan, right? Yeah. I was watching a Francis Chan video not too long ago. And um, he said, and these words are perfect, I am sick and tired of apologizing for the Word of God. We preach God's Word and let the chips fall where they may because God's Word is alive. People can argue with my opinions. Obviously, they're wrong, but people can argue with my opinions. Uh, But you can't argue with the Word of God. There's no answer to it. It, it, it's, It's God's Word. God God gave it to us, and therefore we, we we always have to go back to God's word. But God's word says, and people say, "Well, I don't believe God's word." Just because they not just because they don't believe God's word, does that change the power of God to do a work in their hearts? No, they have to hear. You know why? Because it says in Ecclesiastes that God has put eternity in everyone's heart. God has put eternity in their hearts. Everybody has a longing for eternity. And God's Word is the only thing that can fill that gap. 
They can accept it. They can reject it. But it's the only thing that can fill that gap. Paul says four things to finish um, today in verse 5. He says, be watchful. You be watchful in all things. Endure your afflictions. Do the work of the evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Four things that were done. Be watchful. Always be on guard. Always be on guard. Look for opportunities. I love the verse. Uh, remember, we, there's a verse we did years ago in Kids Club or in Kids Club Camp. And I've shared it with you before. The old King James says this. See then that you walk circumspectly. Can anybody guess from the word circumspectly what it means? Circ with a circumspect. Anybody guess what it means? What's circle mean? Circum. What do you think circum means? Come on, somebody answer me. It means a circle. What is a spectator? Come on. Somebody who looks. Somebody who looks. So circumspectly, what do you think that means? You look all around around through your life. Exactly. Thank you. Our whole life, we have our focus on heaven, but all the time we're looking circumspectly. We're looking around. We stay aware. We stay alert. We stay, we stay, we're always watching out. We're watching out to keep our defenses up and we're walking around to be able to share God's word. He says, endure affliction. Endure by its very nature implies it's not going to be pleasant, doesn't it? Affliction is going to be all kinds of opposition. We need to be willing. We need to realize it's not going to be easy to live a Christian life in this world. It's just not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. We need to endure affliction. Back in chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we just have to endure and keep on plugging and keep on plugging and keep on plugging. I saw a video this week of a um, a woman, military captain, finishing a 12-mile hike with, I, th- I think it was a, goodness, about a 30 kg bag, 70-pound bag. And she got close to the finish line and she couldn't go any further. She was enduring hardness. And her, 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 she was a captain so that men were enlisted. And she fell down and she couldn't get up. And the, 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 her soldiers were encouraging her. Come on, ma'am, you can do it. Come on, ma'am, you can do it. They couldn't help her because she wouldn't have finished the hike. She took a rifle and she stuck it in the ground and she planted it and she stood up. And she stumbled a bit more and collapsed again. And to hear her men cheering, Come on! Come on, ma'am! You can do it! You're almost there! Look, ma'am! Look, look! It's right here! And she got up and she's stumbling. And that you can't even see how she's possibly walking. And she's stumbling along and she just about falls and she puts her rifle down and her men are around her encouraging her to finish it. And, they, and then she finally somehow finds a way to cross the finish line. And they're rejoicing for the job she's done. She endured the hardness to cross the finish line. That's what God wants us to do. God wants us just to finish. It's going to be hard. But God says finish. And that's what Paul's going to talk about next week. About how he finished that course. Run with patience the race that's set before us. And do reflection. Then he says do the work. Easy enough. Do it. Verse 5, do the work. What's an evangelist? Evangelist is anybody who shares the good news. Do the work. Just do it. 
Ezra said when he was preaching after the reconstruction of Jerusalem, he said, we pray, we prepare, and we do the work. If we're hearers of the word and not doers, we deceive ourselves. It's not good enough to just talk about it. There was an old Nike ad years ago. Do you remember the old Nike ad? Just do it. And that's what it comes down to, guys, as believers. We can have all the teaching we want. We can have all the seminars we want. We can go to all the lectures we want. We can go to all the sermons we want. We can read all the books we want. At the end of the day, we just need to do the work of spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. That's that's why we're here, guys. Sure, we're here to love people, but all that's a manifestation of giving the good news of Jesus Christ because Jesus is coming back as judge to judge and rule the earth. We don't know when it's going to happen. So we need to always be ready. Proclaim God's word. This is people's only hope. We've got to get that into our hearts and our heads before we can effectively share it with others. Proclaim God's word. That doesn't mean like it, like, like maybe necessarily, well, it says it, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? We, we say things like, you know, God says this. And God says that. And then they say, where does it say that? Well, then we can show them God, God's word. But you've got to make sure it's biblical. You can't say God says something if he doesn't. Then he says, finish the job. And I already gave the illustration for finish the job. Fulfill your ministry. Complete the work that God has called us to do. We all have different ministries. We all have different ways of doing things. But God says, I want you to finish the work that I gave you to do. Preach the word. Biggest in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Keep going. Don't give up. Don't quit. Endure hardness. Do the job. Stay at it. Keep going until the very end. Now, next week, God willing, we're going to hear Paul's testimony on how he stuck with it to the end. All right. Hold on one second.